Guys, if I haven't met you yet, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Spring, and I haven't been up here in a little while, so it's exciting to be back and, and to be able to, to, uh, to just bring God's Word before you today. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that community time question. I know that I identify with that a lot. There's a lot of things in my life that I want to do or I know I need to do, but there's always things that come up, right? There's always things that get in the way. I call them roadblocks. They're just roadblocks to get in the way. And I know all of us probably have a ton of examples, even if you couldn't think of one on the spot during community time. Like, I'm sure many of you, you've probably tried to lose weight, eat healthier before. How many of you guys tried that before? And, and, and you try, and you know you should do it, and, and, and maybe you do good for a little while, but then the roadblocks show up, right? Like, maybe money gets a little tight, because we all know that eating healthier is a little more expensive, so maybe money gets tight, and it's just, it's just easier just to eat a little unhealthier, right? It's a little cheaper. Or maybe uh, maybe it's a timing thing for you. Maybe you just don't have enough time to plan out your week of meals, and so it's just easier just to swing through the fast food line, isn't it? It's just easier, right? So there's, just, there's all kinds of roadblocks that prevent us from, from doing what we know we need to do. For some of you teenagers, you know you have an exam tomorrow at school, and what do you do anyways? The scroll of death all night. And you know that you should be studying, but instead you surf TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or whatever you do. That's you. Or maybe you're a gamer and you find yourself playing that video game. And you know your mom said you better clean up that daggone house before she gets home. But instead, what do you do? You keep looking at the clock and then you play a little more and you're like, I still got time. And you play that game a little more and you still got more time. Next thing you know, you hear the car pull in the, in, the, in the driveway, and it's over at that point, right? So there's these roadblocks. Video games can be a roadblock. There's all kinds of roadblocks that get in the way of us doing what we know we need to do or what we want to do. That's a part of life, isn't it? I call these competing interests. Our life is filled with competing interests. In fact, that's a part of living, is choosing what matters most, right? So today we're going to talk a lot about this. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about the two greatest commands that God gave us, and we're going to summarize them up front, and we're going to unpack practically what it looks like to live out these commands. So the two greatest commands that God gives us to be the life-driving force, if you are a follower of him, he says these two things. One, we're called to first and foremost love God. But secondly, he calls us to love others. And so this entire series this summer, we've entitled it Summer of Love, and we've been unpacking probably one of the most profound and deep passages on what it practically looks like to love God and love others. Now, the type of love that we're going to read about in this passage, this isn't the type of love that most of us see in Hollywood movies. It's going to be different, and we'll find out. So we're coming about midway through this series, so if you haven't tuned in to the first few weeks of this, you can check us out on YouTube. Highly suggest you going back and listen to those because, man, this series has been so good for me. And I, and I know that would be for you also. But let's read this passage. This is our focal point, focal point passage for the entire series. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you probably heard this. Even if you haven't been in church before, you've probably heard these verses before because they're just, they're everywhere. They're on Hallmark cards. They're everywhere. But we want to unpack what they mean because I believe they have a profound meaning to them and they'll have a profound impact in your life. Here it is. Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. That's what we're going to focus on today. It is not proud. Look at verse 5 with me first. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7 says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In a lot of ways, this passage is, is a list of do's and don'ts or does and doesn'ts for love. 
And you'll see as we walk through this series, this love isn't the type of gushy, mushy, you know, goosebump feeling type of love that we associate with love, especially for you teenagers. You're, you're looking for that gushy, mushy feeling, right? Whenever the right person walks into the room, like that's what we associate with love. But this type of love that God calls us to is much different. The word in the Greek is agape. Some of you may have heard it before, but this word agape it conveys the idea of a selfless, sacrificial love that comes from God. Truly, God is the only one who can show us this agape love. And so if we're going to love like he calls us to, guess who must enable it? It must be God. So as he walks through this passage here, as Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he had specifically a group of people in mind. He was writing this letter to a young church in a place called Corinth. Now, this church wasn't very old, by the way, because Jesus had just rose again from the dead a few years earlier. So this was a young church that were following Jesus. They believed the gospel. They were, in a, they were saved. And then they started trying to follow Jesus the best they could. They formed a church. But guess what? It got ugly real quick. They started making some really bad choices. They took the things that God had blessed them with, the gifts of God, and they began to abuse them. It became all about them instead of all about God. And so here, Paul is rebuking them or correcting them and saying, Hey, listen, you do all of these things as if this is what pleases God. But God says, listen, if you don't love others while you're doing these things, while you're serving them, while you're using the gifts that God has given you, if you don't use love as your driving force, then guess what? You're doing no one no good. So this chapter finds itself in the middle of a rebuke. Paul is saying, if we're going to be the people of God, then we've got to learn to love like God. And the love that God has for us is agape love. It's sacrificial. It's self-sacrificing, right? It's, it's, it's outward focus. It's all about others, all about God. It's not about our self. So for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking what this looks like. We, we look at verse 4. We can pop verse 4 back up there just for a moment. This is, we've been walking through word by word here. We've talked about love being patient. We've talked about love being kind. And then he goes into the do nots of love, right? Because how many of you know that love, there's things that love is and there's things that love is not. And this is where we are in this series. So we talked about love does not envy. Love does not boast. And here we find ourselves in the fifth description here of this verse. And it says that love is not proud. Okay? So we're going to talk a lot about today what is pride. And uh, I hope, man, I hope that God really speaks to your heart because I'll be honest with you, as I've been praying through and preparing for this message, man, God has had to do a big work in my life. And I feel like I'm the least qualified to get up and preach about love not being proud because, man, I'm a prideful person. And I see it as I read scripture. God convicts me of this. And uh, so I ask for your patience today. And honestly, I just want to say, man, as you feel convicted today, know that I felt convicted a week earlier as I was preparing this, right? And so I hope that God speaks to you in the same way that he does me. Because listen, this is all about letting the word of God change our hearts. You can hear me all day. You can say amen. You can have a little emotional experience while you're here. But if God, if you don't allow God to come in and change your heart and, and take some next steps to actually follow through on what God is calling you to, then man, this is all wasted time. And so I pray that today is very practical and relevant for you, and I hope that God speaks to your heart. So listen, God calls us to love others, to love him first and foremost, but there's a major roadblock that prevents us from doing that. You know what it is? Pride. 
pride. Pride holds us back. It's a major roadblock from loving God and loving others the way God wants us to. So what I want to do, we're going to talk a lot about pride today, but I first of all want to look at the origin of pride and let us also define what pride is. Until we get on the same page, it's really hard to discover the pride in our own heart. So let's look at the origin of pride. Let's define pride, and then we'll examine this a little more closely. So if you will, join us in my DeLorean. We're going to go back in time for a few moments, okay? Let's go back in time, back to Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it's all going to be on the screen. Genesis chapter 3 is the very beginning of the Bible, if you're not familiar with it. And it records the, 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 the account of how God created all things, okay? So chapter 1, chapter 2, what we see is God creating all things. And the chief creation of God is mankind, man and woman, right? And so man and woman were made in his image. They were made unique from all the rest of creation. And man and woman, we see a beautiful picture of harmony and relationship with God in the first two chapters of Genesis. But in chapter 3, things change quickly. Would you guys read with me? Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Look at what, say, or look at what the serpent says next. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God knowing good from evil. You hear that key line there? You will be like God, is what the serpent tried to tell Eve. And guess what? It ended up working. We're not going to read the rest of it, but it worked. I like to say that she was duped here. Anybody here ever been duped before? We've all been duped. If you don't know that word, hopefully it'll make sense. I just like using the word duped. And it fits good. Like That's like using random words in sermons. Anyways, but we all have either been duped or duped others. I'll give you an example here. My lovely wife, Kara, up here, you've never met, or some of you may have never met before. When we were dating, she used to go hunting with me. I'm talking about she would get camouflage on. She'd go sit in the deer stand the whole nine yards. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I have looked up a woman that will hunt. The day that she said, I do, do you think she's been in a deer stand ever since? I was duped. Us guys do the same thing, though, right? When Karen and I used to date, she used to say, hey, I want to get to this little cafe down on the corner. Sure, whatever, let's go. I put my nice clothes on, went to the cafe. It cost me 15 bucks for a half a sandwich and a bowl of soup. <laughs> do you think I did that when we got married? Nope, mm -mm. You better, if I'm going to pay 15 bucks, we better get a big piece of meat, right? And I better be full when we leave. Right? So she duped me. It works, it works both ways, right? We, we all have duped others. We've all been duped. So here in the garden, what we see happen is we see Satan work. And by the way, that's who the serpent is in this story, is Satan. By the way, let me say this. Satan is a real figure. Satan is a real person. In modern culture, you hear it on TV and things, Satan is more talked about as a metaphor. But that's not what we see. Jesus speaks of Satan as if he are, is a real person. And so guess what? He is a real person. So you need to know that because he wants to destroy your soul. And if you pretend like he's a metaphor, you are duped. You hear me? So here Satan tempts Eve by saying, hey, listen, God told you not to eat from that because if you did, 
you would be like him. And so guess what started going through Eve's mind? Now, that'd be pretty awesome. I could be all-wise. I could be all-knowing. I could be all-powerful. Think about the thoughts going through Eve's mind. So what did he appeal to here? What started to happen in Eve and Adam's heart was pride. A, a good definition of pride, in fact, this is a good definition of sin, I would say, is thinking that we can be like God. Wanting to take the place of God. This is the essence of what sin is, by the way. Sure, I can, I can name you a list of sins, but at the very core of it, at the very core of what sin is, we want to be like God, just like Eve. We want to be like Him. We want to be in control. We want to be self-sustaining, do we not? We want to feel like we have the power. And Eve made the mistake of believing that it could be true. It was all about her. And by extension, it was all about Adam. It was all about me. It was all about my. It was all about I. And here at the very beginning, you see pride start to well up in their hearts. And we must, it seems to be predictable that this is how Satan would tempt them. Because guess what the story of Satan is, if you're not familiar with it. He was actually a good angel named Lucifer. And the Old Testament records that Lucifer was, was a great angel. was an awesome angel, right? Perfect. But then one day, Lucifer began to think, I want to be like God. I want to receive the glory. I want to be all-powerful. And guess what? He fell because of those thoughts. And he was cast out of God's presence forever. And so it's no doubt, it's no, or no, uh, no um, sort here, surprise, that Satan would tempt Eve in the same way. Look, you could be like God. It's a lure. And that same sinful heart, guys, listen, is what has been passed on to us from generation to generation to generation. We want to be like God. And because of that, we are prideful people. So how would we define pride? Lots of ways we can describe pride, but for, pride, for the word pride means to be high. And not like Mary Jane high for some of y'all from the 70s. Like to be lofty, to think of yourself in a high manner, right? This is what it means to be Prideful. Some words that you might would call sister words or synonyms. Conceitedness is a form of pride. Self-absorption is a form of pride. Self-centeredness is a form of pride. You see, many of us think about pride as just thinking too highly of ourselves, like I'm awesome. That's more like boastful. But pride also, guys, hey, listen, isn't just thinking too highly of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves too much. So let's throw that up on the screen just for a moment. Pride isn't just thinking too much of yourself, but also thinking too much about yourself. See? Some of us need to hear that. Because pride can take different shapes and different forms in every one of our life. And I'm going to give you some examples as we go throughout today. But pride is in the center of all of our hearts. See, pride can even be a negative attribute in your life. Like It could be something that's negative for you. For example, you could walk around every day thinking... I wish I were a little more prettier. I wish I were a little more smarter. I wish I were, and you just, you know, whatever the list is for you. And you don't typically think of that as pride, but it is a form of pride because guess what? Who are you thinking about? Yourself, right? That's self-absorption. It's a form of pride. So we need to expand our mind on what pride is because, listen, as long as pride is there at the center of our heart, we can't love the way God calls us to love. It's a roadblock. It's a roadblock. So if God is calling us to this agape love, then guess what? Our pride has to die. We have to die. 
continually we're called in, in the scriptures that if we're going to follow Jesus fully, then we have to die completely. So our pride has to die also. So I want to make this practical for a moment. It's easy to hear messages like this. And you're like, man, that's good. That's, that's helpful. But we never make it practical, okay? So let's, let's make it really practical. Let's look at a passage from Psalm chapter 10. And I just want you to listen to these words, guys, and let them soak in. Dylan read from this earlier. But we have the psalmist writing here, and you'll see what he's... Let's just follow along. Verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? He's frustrated with God. Hear it in his tone. Why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now look at him pointing the finger. In his arrogance, he's talking about someone else. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught, caught in the schemes he devises. Listen to this. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and he reviles the Lord. That word reviles means to abuse or to attack the Lord. So the, the prideful person here, he's, he's talking about he abuses the Lord. He attacks the Lord. How? Through his pride because he boasts in the cravings of his own heart. Listen to verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, listen to this, there is no room for God. I've never read a verse more clear than that on what pride is. In your heart, in your thoughts, in your mind, there is no room for God. You are at the center of your thoughts. You are at the center of all of the attention. You, you, it's all about you, it's all about me. And there's no more room for God. So how can God be the one driving your life when your life is consumed with you? My wants, my desires, my time, my schedule, my job, my food, my family. It's all about me, my, me. You see where where this is going? When we're consumed with ourselves, there is no more room for God. So the psalmist, I think, hits it right on the hell. He says, on the head, hell. That was a bad, uh, misspoken word there. But anyways, <laughs> verse 5. His ways are always proper, prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do harm to me. You hear the pride in this person? I would argue that this is us. This is us. We all tend to run towards a prideful lifestyle. There's none of us that are born in humility. We are all sinners to the core. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be the Lord of our lives. And so therefore, our default mode is to block God out. And it takes the Lord working deeply in our hearts to change that. So that's why we want to stay on our knees, church. And that's why we join together in prayer is because we need to ask God to change this in us. He needs to do a great work in our life. Because here's the deal. Most of us, if you're like me, most of the pride in your life you're blinded to. You don't even recognize it. Because you're so consumed with you that God has no room. And therefore, it's hard for God to convict you because you've blocked God out. Because you're so consumed with yourself. Let me give you some, some examples here that will hopefully just get your brain running here and, and, and allow the Lord to work. And, and get this. These aren't perfect examples. Anytime you give illustrations in a sermon, there's no such thing as a perfect illustration if you press it too far right. So just bear with me. Take these examples, and hopefully they will be helpful. I just want you to think through the emotions of an everyday uh, experience in your own life. 
And I want you to think through with me how there could be and probably is pride at the root of each one of them. Because how many of us know emotions could be good, but how many of us also know emotions could be very bad, right? Emotions could be very misleading. Let's go through a few here. How about that feeling of being offended? All of us know what it means to be offended. You feel it regularly. What happens when we're offended? Sometimes there's probably good reason to be offended, but more times than not, what's going on when we're offended? How dare that person do that to me? Do they, do they know? This, you don't say it out loud, but this is what you're thinking. How dare? Do they know who they're talking to? <laughs> right? What, what's going on when we're offended? Man, we're, 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 we're obsessed that we are the greatest stuff since sliced bread. And how dare they talk to me or say or do that or whatever it is? How dare they cross me like that? You, you hear the... Pr- I don't know what that was. Do you hear the pride, though, right, when we're, when we're offended? How about when you get angry? You know, I know we use this uh, example a lot here. Someone cuts you off in traffic, and you get so angry, blood starts boiling. What's going on there? How dare they do that to me, right? I'm on the way to work. I'm running late. Guess who it's all about? Me. My. I'm at the center of it. That's the reason I get so angry. You hear me? How about when we're passive or inactive? A lot of us fall into this category. We feel like if we can't do something perfectly, or we, maybe we feel like we can't speak eloquently enough into a situation, so what do we do? We just, we're just passive. We're inactive. We don't say anything. We don't do anything. Now, what's the root of that? Oftentimes, it's a form of pride because you're too worried about what other people will think. What if I say this and I speak up but other people think I'm dumb or crazy. And so instead of speaking up, standing on truth or conviction or whatever it may be, we're passive, we're inactive, we stand back in the background, we try to fade off so that no one even knows we're there. Hey, listen, it's a form of pride. How about some more? How about when we boast? This is an easy one. Uh, Sean preached on this a couple weeks ago, did a great job. How about when we boast? Let's talk about another side of boasting. There's the boasting that says, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. You know, you actually out loud, but then there's silent boasting. Like we wear certain clothes, you know what I'm saying? Especially, let's talk, let's talk to the ladies for a second here. Some of you guys too. You wear certain clothes and you walk around. What you doing? You, you're silently boasting. Like you're like, look at this, look at this new dress I got or whatever. Like you're, you're boasting internally because you want others to look at you, right? Guys, we do the same thing. So it's got to pick on the ladies a little bit too. But listen, boasting can take different shapes and forms. But what's at the center of it? Pride. How about when we lie? When we lie, what are we doing? Most of the time we're trying to cover something up so that people don't think less of us, right? You're you're, you're trying to wiggle your way through a situation and lie so that people don't know that you've done something or people don't think negatively of you or they don't think less of you. So the root of lying oftentimes is pride. How about whenever you just live in the dumps? You're always discouraged in life. You walk around thinking, if I were just a little smarter, if I were just a little skinnier, if I just had a better job, if I had a better car, it's all, you know, you're kind of the Eeyore through life. You're just real dumpy. What's going on there? It's pride. You're consumed with you. All you think about is how life would be better for me if it were X, Y, or Z would happen to me or if things were differently, right? It's all about me. How about, the, how about uh, when we uh, dislike other people? I'm just going to give you lots of examples here. I want to have handles on pride in your life. I want you to understand it. I want you to feel the conviction of the Lord. 
whenever it comes up in your life? How about when you're angry with others, when you have bitterness against others? It could be for various reasons. Most of the times it's things like, I can't believe they did something like that towards me. But oftentimes it's looking down our nose at people, right? I don't, I don't like them because of their, their culture they come from. Maybe you don't say this out loud, but if you were to be honest with yourself, this is what's going on in your heart. I don't really like them because of, of their personality. I don't really like them maybe because of their skin color. I don't really like them because of the way they talk, where they're from, you name it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on for the reasons that we don't like people. Most of us won't say that out loud because we're good Southerners, right? We hold stuff like that in our heart. We bite our mouth, we bite our lips, and we don't say it. But what's going on in our hearts is pride. It's thinking that I'm superior, right? How about this last one? How about your prayer life? How does that reflect pride in your life? I can guarantee this. Your prayer life is directly connected at the hip with the amount of pride in your life. The more you pray, the more you recognize just how dependent you are on for God for everything. The less you pray, the more you think that you've got it under control. Guys, I'll be honest with you. That, that's convicted me so much because my prayer life is not where it should be. And when I just think about, man, God, if you really are the one in control, why am I not on my knees more often for my family who don't know you, for my neighbors who are far from you, for the brokenness around the world, for the, the injustice around me? Why am I not on my knees more often? It's because I'm prideful, guys. When you're not on your knees constantly before the Lord, I can guarantee as a little reflection, you'll see the pride in your own life. You think you've got it under control. You've, fell, you've fallen for the same trick that Eve did, that you could be like God. We all have pride in our life, listen. But until we stop, reflect, allow God's word to penetrate our hearts, listen, you're just going to coast through life, but there's not going to be no room for God in your heart like Psalm 10 says. You're going to be so full of you, there's no way that you can love others the way that he's called us to. And guess what? When we start to love him and love others the way he's called us to without pride, that's when he'll begin to move in powerful ways. He will. He promises it. So, so just like Eve, we have fallen into this trap of, of thinking about ourselves way too much. We are at the center of our problems. And for some of you in here, you've got a far bigger problem here. What I mean is this, just the same way that Eve fell for the deception of Satan in the garden, she was separated from him because of that. Sin separates us from God. Spiritually speaking, you cannot be in the presence of God if you are a sinner. Every single person naturally is born in the same problem as Eve. We are born separated from God. Your pride, it just, it just doesn't cause problems in your life, which it does. It separates you from God. And for some of you in here, you've never received the salvation that the Lord offers, the forgiveness of all of your pride. Pride will constantly be a struggle for every single one of us, for those of us in here who are in Christ and for those of us who aren't, certainly. But it will constantly be a problem. But guess what? Before salvation, pride is limiting you. It's holding you back from having a relationship with the God who made you. But listen, the greatest act of love that was ever committed is in the gospel message. That God himself became a human. Listen, 
He became a human. He sacrificed himself on the cross for the sin, for the pride in your own heart. He hadn't done anything wrong. We are the guilty ones. But God became a man. He took your guilt on his shoulders and he died on the cross so that you could be cleansed and forgiven of all your pride. And that you could be restored to a relationship with him. You see, you've got a far bigger problem than just your pride. You're separated from the loving God who has made a way for you to know him. And if you have never received him as Lord, then you have rejected the greatest offering of love that you could ever reject. So here's what I want to challenge you on. And I want to speak to you believers in just a moment first, but for those of you in here who have never received Jesus as Savior, that's step one. If you want to love like he calls you to love, you've got to quit chasing pride. Pride is an endless craving, right? Anybody get cravings in here? Like one of my big cravings is ice cream. I love ice cream. I can eat it every single day. Like if you give me some Reese's cups and some ice cream, dear Lord, man, that's some good stuff. And here's the thing. My cravings would lead me to eat and eat and eat and eat until I was sick, right? That's where my cravings lead me. Pride is an unquenchable craving. You want more control. You want more power. You want more recognition, right? Until there's no room left for God. And until you become one of his, this is you. I want to throw a slide up on the screen just for a second. So this graphic was really helpful for me when I was first starting to grasp what it meant to be a Christ follower. Because when I... When I talk about salvation here in the South, many people, man, you just assume I'm good. Like, I believe that God is real. I believe in Jesus. But can I say something to you just for a second? So does the demons. Do you think they're saved? No. The key difference is faith. Look at this graphic here. This top one here is what I would describe as a self-directed life. So if the circle were a representation of your life, your world... There's a throne. Every one of us has a throne in our lives. You with me? And who's on the throne of your life? Self. Yourself. You are on the throne of your life. This is our natural condition. Every one of us want to be in control. We want to be on the throne of our life. Yeah, sure, you may know about Jesus. You see Jesus outside of the circle. You may know about him. You may even believe in him, just like the demons. But he is not the Lord of your life. Look at this second graphic here. This is a Christ-directed life. You have the same world, you have the same throne, because someone's going to control your life. You with me? But who's on the throne? It's Jesus. And who's at the foot of the throne? Myself, you. If you are still in control of your life, you have never been saved. To be saved means I trust Jesus completely for everything. He is not only the creator, he's the sustainer, and he is the only path to know God. His death and resurrection is the only thing that can save me because it's the only thing that can cleanse me of all my sins. And when we want to receive him, guess what that involves? Submitting ourselves fully to him. Relinquishing the throne of our life. Realizing, guys, I have nothing to offer God. I am a dirty sinner. But by his grace, free gift, 
by his free gift, he offers you eternal life to become his son, to become his daughter, to be adopted into his family. No longer do we have to be an enemy of his anymore. We can become his son or daughter. No greater news on earth right there, folks. If this is you at the top, then I want to ask you right now to move to the bottom, to give your life to Jesus, to submit to him as Lord. If you want to love the way that God calls us to in 1 Corinthians 13, this is step one. I believe there's someone in this room today that needs to give their life to the Lord. So here's what I want to do just for a moment. Because this is the most important part, man, is, is starting a relationship with Jesus. I want to just bow our heads and pray together right quick. So everyone just close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to speak to the believers in the room in just a moment too. But for those of you in the room, as, as you were looking at this graphic and as God has been working in your heart and as you feel him pulling on your heart, listen, you have realized that you are the one that is the Lord of your life. If that's you and you've recognized that that's a dead-end road, then God invites you to come to him. He says that anyone who calls upon my name will be saved. So in your own words, in your own heart, you don't have to say this out loud. It could be in your own mind, in your own words, in your own heart. Just call out to him. You can say something like this, God, I do believe in you. God, I recognize how prideful I am how sinful I am and I confess I need you now I believe in you and I ask you for your forgiveness paid for completely by your son dying for me and solidified three days later when he rose again from the dead So right now, Lord, I receive you. I am all yours, and I am all in. If you prayed that prayer today, this is the beginning for you. God wants to use you in powerful ways that you don't even know of yet. And I just want to celebrate you knowing God now. There's nothing more important in life than receiving eternal life through Him. You guys can open your eyes just for a second. If that was you guys, please let us know. If you receive the Lord, man, there's nothing more important than that. Please stop by, talk to me afterwards. My wife will be up here with me. You can talk to either one of us. You can stop by our connection center. Just let someone know, okay? But listen, I want to speak to you believers just for a moment. Those of you who are in Christ, this is a hefty charge to love people without pride, without pride because pride is a major roadblock, right? In, in pursuing the mission of God, pride is probably one of the biggest roadblocks in our life. So I want to read a passage over you today. This is from Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick up with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Verse 4. Not looking to your own, own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see the outward focusedness of, of humility and love? But look at how it's modeled. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, he was God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Listen to this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, this is our charge. If you are in him, follow the life of Jesus. He was God. If anyone could have walked around and said, look at me, it was him. But instead, he chose to submit himself to the cruelty of those around him. Why? For our benefit, for our gain. Because him dying on the cross is what would pave the way for us to know him. Listen, guys. If you're a Christian, you have been given so much. And it would be easy to walk around and think so highly of yourself because you're like, man, I'm, I'm God's chosen one. I've got eternal life. But when you understand the message of the gospel that you are a sinner, you don't deserve a single bit of it. But in God's mercy, in his grace, he freely... He freely handed you the gift of eternal life. He freely handed you his Holy Spirit to live in you forever. He freely has lavished grace upon grace upon grace to you. When you understand this, listen, there's not a single thing to boast about except for him. And when we boast about him, the roadblock of ourself will start to move out of the way. And we can love the way God calls us to love. Anybody ever heard the phrase, how do you eat an elephant? What's the answer? One bite at a time. How do we change the world? Loving one person at a time. We do that when we hit the back seat and Jesus is back on the throne where he belongs. Listen, church, every day, every moment of every day, let us die to ourselves and let us live for Jesus. Every moment of every day, let's love the world, love him the way that he calls us to. Can I pray for us right quick? Jesus, we can't do this without you. If your power isn't present in our lives, Lord, we will live prideful, self-centered, self-absorbed lives. But God, that will do no one no good, including us. So today we lay ourselves at your feet. We ask you, God, to change us, to make us be who you want us to be, Lord. God, I pray that you would give every one of us practical next steps to love the way you called us to love. Jesus, we're so grateful for your grace. We can never say thank you enough. Continue to change our hearts to make us who you want us to be, to make this church the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.